any means necessary on Radio Sputnik in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sean Blackman, here with Jackie Lukeman. And as always, we are your guide for connecting the political, social, and economic movements shaping the world around us. And it's Tuesday, which means we're having our weekly segment, Tech for the People, where we're joined by technologist Chris Carappa, the editor of TechForThePeople.org and the co-host of the Reboot Podcast. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, as always, great to be with you. And as always, it is great to have you, Chris. And, you know, it's being reported that the Federal Bureau of Investigations is spending millions of dollars on software that tracks social media. I mean, uh, what is going on here? Why is the Bureau uh, uh, so interested in tracking social media software? And I mean, it just seems like there's some serious implications on privacy here. Yeah, there's some real uh, real concerns about privacy. Uh, what the FBI is looking for is they've contracted actually for 5,000 licenses for some software called Babel X. Uh, and that's a package made by a company called Babel Street. And what it does is it just lets you search all of the social media sites. Uh, you know, at, at basically at the same time, um, they do Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, VK, which is a Russian social media site. Telegram. Uh, the FBI also wants Discord, Gab, Parler, Reddit, uh, Weibo, which is Chinese, TikTok, Discord, um, and it was Parler. So many networks here that they are looking to get access to. Um, and so 5,000 licenses. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Um, and the software from this company, Babel Street, they are kind of one of the biggest in this field. They have multiple pieces of, you know, multiple products and pieces of software that they offer. Um, Babel X is probably the one that is the most well-known, and many, many federal agencies contract with Babel Street to use this software. So, yeah, it's basically a real-time system that lets you search uh current and, you know, and archived social media posts, you know, spending millions of dollars on this. We're talking about possibly up to $27 million uh, for this contract, and they've already paid about $5 million to an external vendor uh, as part of it. So why are they using this? Why are they looking for this? The initial reason that they give is because the January 6th attempted coup was, if you were paying attention, planned basically on social media and promoted on social media. There was, you know, posts on all of the social networks uh, from Facebook to Twitter, Reddit, and some of these other, um, you know, exclusively right wing places like Gab that were, uh, you know, where people were organizing and saying, you know, we're going to come down to D.C., we're going to, you know, do all these things. And it was very clear that there was going to be something significant happening. And the FBI very much acted like they had no idea. Now, we know that on January 6th, there was a, you know, a coordinated effort to actually pull Capitol Police and other law enforcement back. So I find the excuse from the FBI that they, you know, didn't know it was going to happen to actually be very, uh, I don't believe it. I don't believe that they didn't know it was going to happen. It was very clear that law enforcement who had been meeting that day and the day before 
knew that something very big and very serious was going to happen. And I think there's a lot to talk about, uh, you know, around January 6th specifically. But, you know, on the on the tech side of it, this is going to allow the FBI and this software is used by many other agencies, as I mentioned, uh, it will allow them to effectively just see all public social media posts. And that's important, right? This is public social media posts. So some people say, well, why is it that, you know, we should be concerned about that? You're putting that information out there anyway. And and there is a little bit of truth to that. But some of the advanced features that the FBI is looking for here include sentiment analysis and, you know, trends. Sentiment analysis doesn't particularly work that well. You know, that's, you know, when you try to say, okay, this post is uh, positive, this person is feeling good about what they're posting about, they're angry about what they're posting about, um, and they want predictive analysis to, quote, point toward possible actions of a subject or group. Um, And that's an extremely concerning thing. So the, the multiple elements of what the FBI has been looking for in getting this software you know, really point to, you know, a serious expansion of the surveillance state using some really state-of-the-art machine learning and analysis techniques through the Babel X software. And there's other software that Babel Street offers, like Babel Synthesis, which actually can do some of these things. And, uh, you know, Tech for the People was actually the first to report in December 2020 on Babel Synthesis um, and the capabilities that it offers. And I found that they basically do this sentiment analysis, this network tracking. So not just what is this person posting, but who are they influencing and who is influencing them? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I was laughing when you were talking about that, Chris, because I agree. I also don't believe that the American intelligence apparatus that is as sophisticated as it is brutal somehow was a babe lost in the woods and just had no clue about this, uh, uh, you know, fascist oriented insurrection that was being organized in public online. And so, you know, it just really feels like yet another excuse to even um, further Uh, impugn our privacy, frankly, something that is already sort of constantly under attack and assault. And another thing I want to touch on today, Chris, uh, Reuters has been reporting that uh, Israeli spyware was actually used to uh, uh, target senior officials in the European Union. And surprise, surprise, the NSO group uh, is involved. So tell us what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, we have talked so many times about Pegasus, which is this software from the NSO group that, just as a reminder, it is used by governments around the world uh, to basically install spyware on phones remotely. And in many cases, you don't even have to do anything to be targeted. Um, You just have to have your phone on. It can send you a text message that you might not even be able to see. And it takes advantage of security flaws uh, that are that then uh, installs this malware. Sometimes it sends you a text. You have to click a link, you know, you know things like that. But really, it's, it's very sneaky stuff. And there's an entire industry, uh, not just the NSO group that is pushing this. But, yeah, what we have learned from Reuters this week, uh, just yesterday, actually, was that a senior Belgian uh, member of the uh, the 
European Justice Commission, um, the actually the European Justice Commissioner, uh, was one of the targets as well as four of his staff. Uh, and it seems like there may have been other targets who are unnamed uh, in the uh, EU administration uh, and the staffers that have also been targeted here. There hasn't really been a, a releasing of the names uh, particularly. Um, the specific vulnerability that the NSO group used here is called forced entry, and Apple has patched that. That that issue has been patched, and you know I always tell people when that software update comes up, right, go and install it because you never know what the problem is that it's solving. Um, you know, so Apple once they found out about this, they did patch it, and again, that's how these shady companies like NSO work: is that they find out about security issues and they don't tell the vendor. Uh, like Apple or Google or Microsoft, that there is this, uh, you know, that there is this issue, they hold it to themselves, much like the National Security Agency or the CIA would, so they can take advantage of it. So the major question here is who is using this software to attack EU officials? The NSO group says, they, they actually quote, this could not have happened with NSO, NSO's tools, which May or may not be true, but I trust the analysis that has been done on this as I've seen it, that this actually was the forced entry attack. But whether or not it is the NSO group, I think the real concern is that there is an entire industry here uh, that you know makes these makes tools like Pegasus. Um, NSO again is the kind of most infamous one that everyone has at this point heard about, you know, especially since a lot of the exposés last summer. But there are other companies that do this uh, and and offer that um, and. You know, NSO Group is based out of Israel. Many of these companies are based out of Israel. And Israel has to approve many of the sales of NSO Group products to other countries. So major question here, and we need you know a full investigation into this, is who actually used this to attack EU officials? Who has used it to attack Hungarian and Polish officials as well? Of course, in addition to the many labor activists, you know, human rights workers, um, and politicians around the world who have been targets of Pegasus spyware. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's pretty frightening, honestly, because we know very well that the rank and file person, um, I mean, really anywhere is subject to this kind of, of surveillance. But, um, you know, high ranking officials of, you know, sovereign governments being targeted with it as well, I, I think, paints something of a worrisome picture. And uh, we also know, as I think you mentioned there, Chris, um, about the role that this kind of technology plays in political suppression. And so, I mean, not only uh, is it something that can be used to crush political dissent, but I mean, I also feel that, um, you know, looking at this, it could also be a real obstacle to like real uh, diplomacy and peace uh, in that way. You know what I mean? It just feels like uh, it can be such a, dis a disruptive uh, a force in a time where a real diplomacy and a kind of actual critical, uh, a true kind of peace is needed. And I know you often remind us that, you know, there are different ways that um, this technology or, or a lot of different kinds of technology could be used positively. But, you know, it's hard for me to think that uh, people are spying on these officials, you know, just because they're interested in, you know, what kind of coffee they bought in the morning or what they're, you know, the, the news they're reading on their phones or something. I mean, it's obvious that there's something deeper happening there and, you know, just just sort of a scary proposition in that way, you know? It certainly is. And, you know, of course, 
this is, you know, spycraft is nothing new. It's yeah. extremely old. Um, you know, I mean, I remember back when we found out that the NSA was spying on Angela Merkel, chancellor of Germany at the time. Um, and of course, you know, Germany was considered to be more or less an ally of the United States, if not, you know, very close, but still in that sphere of influence. And of course, that was also at a time when Russia was making overtures to, you know, have better relationships with Germany. Um, so this is not, you know, anything unique in the sense that there are world leaders being spied on by, at this point, unknown actors. I'm not going to speculate as to who this was. Um, but it's also, you know, the ease of which they can install this software and the fact that this entire industry exists, that is really what is the, you know, more concerning aspect of it. Yeah, totally. And uh, another thing I wanted to touch on, <laughs> these are some wild stories this week. So, you know, apparently Europe is building an international facial recognition system. And this was reported in uh, uh, Wired UK. And so what's happening with this, Chris? Because, I mean, it seems that, I mean, already for some time, you know, fingerprints and DNA data, vehicle information and, and things like that has, you know, already been used to track down criminals and things like that throughout Europe. But, I mean, what is happening with this uh, facial recognition system? And what does it mean to have that? That kind of network uh, uh, be spread on an international basis. Yeah, you know the EU is looking to they say modernize policing. That's their quote to modernize it. And what do we know that modernizing policing means on the national and international scale? It means more surveillance tools. So this is called the. PRUM2 data sharing protocol. PRUM1 was kind of adopted about, you know, 15 years ago or so. Um, and, it, you know, it hasn't been seriously taken up by uh, all of Europe's 27 countries, but, you know, it is slowly being taken up by more and more. And the whole idea is that police across Europe can share information and request information from each other. So this is the second phase of this, the, the, the second part of Proom, is using facial recognition. So they've already got these databases of DNA and fingerprints and criminal records and all these things that, you know, one country can request another country run through their, uh, you know, run a fingerprint or, you know, a license plate or whatnot through their system to see what comes back. Now they're going to be adding or looking to be adding facial recognition to this. So this, this is, I mean, we're talking about Europe, you know, we're talking about you know, hundreds of millions of people, in addition to people who visit Europe. Uh, so non-Europeans who try to visit Europe, uh, you know, who, who just come into the EU, um, you know, in that travel zone, uh, could also be part of this. Um, I mean, there, there have been intelligence sharing uh, systems through between European countries and, of course, between the U.S. and European countries for quite some time. Uh, it's the the adding of facial recognition to this, you know, seems to be really the next step in this international surveillance state that is going to then extend, of course, to each individual country's federal police. And then in that country could be extended then to local police forces. Because if you have a facial recognition system, why wouldn't you use it if you are uh, a you know, police or intelligence agency? Definitely. And, and to me, Chris, this feels like a massive expansion 
of the very kind of like police surveillance state that we've discussed a lot on the show. I mean, here in the U.S., I mean, we see it, you know, in a lot of different ways, you know, through uh, tracking social media, like we've been discussing through, you know, partnerships with, you know, uh, tech companies like The Ring and things like that. And that's, you know, already, you know, to me, a pretty uh, considerable violation. But like you say, we're talking about like a cross sort of continental um, a network setting this up. And I mean, you know, the idea of uh, policing and surveillance sort of uh, becoming almost one in the same in that way, I think has some, you know, uh, or could have certainly some troublesome uh, uh, ripple effects in terms of how it impacts people in real time. Because we've already seen, uh, you know, what happens when artificial intelligence and other such tech is brought into um, uh, uh, policing or law enforcement. I believe we were talking recently about, uh, I think it was three men here in the U.S. that were, you know, wrongly uh, convicted of crimes using a lot of this tech as well. And when you expand it to that level, I mean, it seems like situations like that are basically inevitable. So it almost seems like not if uh, people's rights uh, may be violated because of this, but when, you know what I mean? Well, when is already, when is right now? And they right. keep just pushing these things. You know, every, for every victory we win, we still have to be cautious. You know, we won the fact that the IRS isn't going to use that third-party facial recognition provider to authorize access to IRS website uh, services. But then, you know, we find out that other agencies are going to use them. And so we really have to be not just on the defensive, but on the offensive when we're looking at the continued spread and use of these types of uh, techniques. Yeah, definitely. And one more thing uh, I wanted to get to here, Chris, um, we're, we've been speaking about the European Union today, and uh, uh, I was looking at some reports about an, an automated border security system that's being funded uh, by the EU. Uh, I believe this is uh, I border control, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so how do you see this tech factoring in uh, uh, to the, the immigration issue uh, here in the EU? And what do you see as the impacts? Yeah, I mean, one of the most concerning things that I have seen about this I border control, people want to check this out. It's a great website, iborderctrl.no. This is a website pointing out all of the things wrong with it. One of the things that they're going to do is install uh, kiosks in customs areas and airports uh, that you kind of talk to. And it asks you questions about your trip. How long are you staying? Where are you going? Where are you coming from? Things like that. Um, and it claims that it can do lie detection. They even brag uh, in there's a video that's been circulating on Twitter. They even brag that the, the system is, you know, is going to be go from being 76 percent accurate to like 85 percent accurate, which is like that means it's, it'll fail 15% of the time at least. Um, and that's going to cause so many problems. I mean, so we're not even talking about facial recognition here necessarily. We're talking about the fact that, uh, you know, you're getting off a plane, you're tired, you're maybe in a different country, you're jet lag, whatever. Uh, and this software package is going to try to figure out if you're lying or not. Uh, and then, you know, force you into deeper, you know, an interview or whatnot with a customs official um, if if a software package thinks you're lying. I mean, this is just, first of all, I mean, I think it's a way to just like have fewer people working, um, you know, and, and to automate 
work uh, that you know people could be doing. But also, yeah, it is a major immigration issue, um, it, and I, I think that's you know it's pretty clear how this is going to be you know impacting people who are immigrants. And I, I don't see why this wouldn't be spreading to the U.S. without some serious pushback. Definitely. Well, we thank you so much, Chris, as always, for joining us today. We're going to leave it there. We'll move to a break here on By Any Means Necessary on Radio Sputnik in Washington, D.C. We'll be right back. So please stay with us. By Any Means Necessary. 